Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for a time to go to your word together. We thank you for um, just the revelation that you have made to us. We pray that uh, you would find our hearts open to you. Help us, Lord, as uh, we want more of you to do whatever is required for that to happen. You have made it possible. You have paved the way. But there are some, some tough decisions we need to make to truly experience you at, at, a, at a more intimate, more meaningful way, at a more intimate, more meaningful level. And I pray that as we open our hearts to you, you will reveal to us your will and uh, your desire for our hearts. And may we have a willingness, a willingness to meet you here. In Jesus' name. We have now spent uh, four weeks talking about experiencing God. And uh, maybe it would be good to go back a little bit and review what we've uh, discussed so far. First week we talked about finding God in the silence, in uh, solitude. And making a meaningful time every day to draw apart from all the other activity, all the other uh, noise of our lives, and focus on God. And during that time, however long it is, maybe ten minutes, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, I don't know. Uh, but during that time to experience God as we carve out time for Him. And then we talked, secondly, about experiencing a lifetime of prayer. Because one of the greatest ways for us to communicate with God is through prayer. As we speak to Him, whatever's in our hearts, and as we listen to Him... He speaks to us as well. We communicate with him. He communicates with us as we get alone with him. And then we talked about experiencing the word of God, the Bible. That the Bible is God's unique letter to the world revealing who he is and and really everything that we need to know. It is a living word from God that confronts us, uh, that catches us, it confronts our sin, and it it eventually can transform us day by day as we open that word and study it and and meditate upon it. Last Sunday, week four, we talked about experiencing worship and surrender to God, and Christian reminded us that we need to worship God in spirit and in truth, as Jesus said. If we want to truly experience him, then there has to be a truth and honesty and transparency about our worship, and we must also surrender ourselves to God as living sacrifices so that he can use us to his glory. And today we want to go on a little bit further with that, experiencing God in simplicity. And then finally next week, a very important message, experiencing the grace of God. Experiencing God in simplicity. If we want to experience God, then we need to somehow simplify our lives as much as we can. This is difficult in this modern high-tech world, but it is absolutely necessary if you want to experience God. So let's talk about that today. Simplifying our lives doesn't mean that we have to go back to the dark ages. Simplifying our lives doesn't mean that we have to completely stop emailing, texting, tweeting, using our cell phones, although a little or less of all of these things couldn't hurt, could it? Would anybody like to have a little bit less of all that? I would. Simplifying doesn't mean that we have to give up all our modern conveniences and start living like the Amish. That's good news. What it means is that we need to find a way to pull back, slow down, and get rid of as much of the clutter and noise of our lives as we possibly can. 
Otherwise, God can't get in. God can't get into our lives and into us and do what only God can do. Otherwise, we're just out there operating on our own. You know, and God may be off to the side somewhere, but we, if God is going to be experienced fully and God is going to open up things in our lives, then there has to be time for that to happen. And simplifying is the way to get there. Now, simplicity is a spiritual discipline. If you've ever studied spiritual disciplines, it is a spiritual discipline as much as prayer or Bible study or confession and other things. Simplicity is as important uh, as, a, as a pursuit as, as many things you could do. It's, it's at the center of several branches of Christianity that's kind of, kind of specialized in this. The Roman Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, both have religious orders of Franciscans who strive after simplicity. And if you become a Franciscan, you're expected to take a vow that requires a simple, God-honoring life in community with other people who have taken a similar vow. And so we're going to slow down, we're going to simplify, we're going to pull away from the rest of the world, and we're going to meet God. We're going to experience God. The only problem with that is God wants us still in the world. He wants us impacting the world, influencing the world. So this is the rub. This is the balancing act. This is the difficulty of simplifying our lives while still in a very busy, unsimple, complicated life. The Quakers, also known as the Religious Society of Friends, practice the testimony of simplicity. And they simplify their lives by focusing on the most important things and avoiding the least important things. They're conscious about this, deliberate about this. This is called the testimony of simplicity because they consider their actions speak so much louder than their words. So by their actions, they are testifying to their simplicity in God and what can be benefited by that. Quakers believe that a person's spiritual life and character are more important than the quantity of goods he is able to possess or his monetary worth. Friends also believe that one should deliberately use one's resources, including our money and time, in ways that are most likely to make life truly better for oneself and for others. So if you want a, a simple way to look at simplifying or simplicity, simplicity is pulling back. Pulling back from a whole bunch of things. Pulling back from a lot of stuff that goes on in our lives pulling back from the influences of the world around us, back from the demands uh, as we can, back from the pressures, back from materialism, back from the relentless pull of the world on our lives. In the first lesson of this series, Solitude, we learn that we must carve out a special time for God every day. Very quiet, special time of aloneness with God so that he could speak to our hearts, so we could could really uh, remove the noise of the world and just focus in on God. But you can't do that 24-7, can you? <laughs> you got to go to your job. you got to take care of your family. you got to do a lot of different things with your life. So this is bigger than that. Simplicity is all of life. Simplicity is more than finding a time each day to be alone with God. It is reordering and revamping our entire life so that we can focus on God and experience His presence 24 hours a day. Now I want you to know, it's very gut check time for me, this has been a very difficult message for me to think about. I have been troubled this week as I thought about this message. I wondered 
how I can expect one short little sermon to somehow counteract a whole system, a whole world, world system of, of, of a lifestyle that we are so caught up in, especially here in Northern Virginia. How I could expect just a few minutes for God to move in us and for us to somehow have a willingness for Him to move and to change the way we look at things, to change the way we do things, because that's really what He's asked about it in simplicity. This is a total change. And I don't know if I have enough faith to preach a sermon like that. Do you have enough faith to hear and to process and receive a sermon like that? I feel like the Quaker who got a new neighbor. And his new neighbor was this very wealthy man. He's built this huge mansion next to the Quaker's simple little farmhouse. And the day they were moving in, this Quaker, who lived a very simple life, a very plain life, watched as the movers carried in numerous pieces of furniture and, and a great deal of clothing, a lot of really nice stuff. And then all the fancy cars started, you know, and the boat and everything else. And, and uh, after it got all moved in, the, the Quaker kind of sauntered over to the neighbor to welcome him. And he said in his quaint Quaker way, Neighbor, if thou hast need of anything, please come to see me, and I'll tell thee how you can do without it. <laughs> I feel that way this morning. As your preacher, I feel like I'm telling you something of how to get along without things that you don't think you can get along without. That we are so convinced, so part of the system of of buying and, and amassing and living, that for me to say, we got to pull back from that, it's like, I don't want to hear that. I don't know how to do that. And I'm telling you, you got to give up some things that you don't think you can do without. A lot of people, even those who don't believe in God, have said we need to simplify. That's nothing really new. Henry David Thoreau, how many years ago? Uh, you know, he said, our life is frittered away by detail. So simplify, simplify. And so he left town. He left a comfortable life in the city. And he moved out to a small cabin in the woods at Walden Pond. And he became much more happy, much more content with his life by living a simpler life. And he writes all about that. But that's not all I'm talking about. Simplicity is scaling back. It is trimming down. It is tightening up. It is slowing down. It is weeding out. It's all of these things. But it's so much more than that because there is a purpose behind that. And that is to experience God in a new way and in a more intimate way. It is not just about slowing down or scaling back. It is slowing down and pulling back so that we can experience God and be used of God. Because when we're so caught up in this world system and so stressed out and, and worried and anxious and moving all the time and not sleeping well at night, how in the world can God use a person like that? Lorraine Pintus says that she realized that her spiritual life was in the doldrums because she was not making Jesus a part of her daily life throughout the day. So she wrote this. She said, when I started talking with him wherever I went, then I started relating to him and enjoying him in a deeper way. I would ask God, would you like to go with me for a walk? 
And then he would go and I would just converse with him. And I would ask, would you like to go to the grocery store with me? And then we're going to go to the hospital to see Sherry. And she said that for her, that was the beginning of changing from religion to relationship. And she, like David, began to seek God's presence every moment of every day. Now Jesus said that the two greatest commandments ever given were these. And Mike's already shared them in our communion meditation. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if we are truly to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we better get this simplified thing straightened out. We, we need to somehow live for God more than just one hour on Sunday morning. Somehow incorporate this living for God with heart, soul, mind, and strength into every moment of every day, even while we're sleeping, even while we're at home, even while we're relaxing. Are we living for God? If we truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, why do we work so hard to gain the approval of others? If we truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then why would we be satisfied to love Him just one hour a morning and not let the, the, on Sunday morning and not the rest of our time? If we truly love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then why do our lifestyles, why do our possessions look so much like our neighbor's lifestyle and possessions, and he doesn't even know God? Answer me that. Why does our life look like His? if we are fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Something is amiss. Something is wrong. The poet Williams Wordsworth, uh, Wordsworth said that the world is too much with us. Late and soon, getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away, a sordid boon, he said. The world is too much with us. Is that the problem? I think it is. That's why we need to simplify, and that's why we need simplicity to bring us back to God and to God's way of life. Now, Jesus often encouraged this. He said it in a lot of different ways. He said it several times in Matthew 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn it open to that. In Matthew 6, he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, which is like the, the best expression of his way of life. And he says down in chapter 6, verse 19, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wow. <laughs> okay. Skip down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or, or God and materialism. Go down to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Pretty pointed. Pretty consistent in the ministry of Jesus. Notice what Jesus is saying here. Here is an unavoidable, undeniable fact of life. No one can serve two masters. It's not possible. One's going to win out. One's going to trump the other. One is going to be more in charge of your life than the other. So, make your choice. 
Will you serve God or this world? Will you seek God and his kingdom first or not? Let me hint something at you. If you're already a Christian, you've already made that choice. You already said at some point in your life, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what it means to become a Christian. You've already given your answer, unless somehow you're fooling yourself or just trying to fool someone else. We made our choice to serve God when we first surrendered to God. Are we being true to the commitment we made to Him way back then? Or are we still following the ways of the world? Even though we said that, does our life reflect the commitment we made? Let me ask you this. Are you tired of being stressed out and overworked? Yes. A lot of people shake their head. Are you tired of never seeming to have enough time to stop and pray? Are you tired of going day after day with little or no thought for God? If you are, then you need to simplify your life. Here is the secret. Here is the answer. For God's sake and for yours. Listen to the words of Michael Moriarty. He said, Simplicity is the answer for people tired and weary. Simplicity is marked by a contented lifestyle that rests in God's grace. It is the commitment to clear out, scale down, and realize the essentials of what we truly need to live well. The intimate search for wholeness is not found by accumulating more things, but by entering into God's presence every single day. Now let me try and draw a parallel for you uh, in something that I kind of recognize. There's talking with our daughter, about somebody in, in her office that, that she described as a liar. I mean, she just doesn't know how to tell the truth. And it made me think back to when I tried lying as a boy. And maybe you tried lying as a child. How many of you have ever had tr trouble with lying? Now tell the truth. Every hand should be up right now. If your hand is not up, you're lying right now. Okay? Here's the truth. All of us have tried it. And when you told a lie, what did you have to do next? You had to tell another lie to cover up the first one. Didn't you? And then you had to tell another one and another one. You just hope, oh boy, I hope somebody doesn't follow this thread because eventually they're going to catch me. I just, how creative can I be? How ingenious can I be? I'm going to keep telling this web of lies and hopefully get away with it. And I hope you discovered, as I did, you don't get away with it. Somebody always catches you in the end. Somebody always figures it out. Because we are not successful at lying over and over again. Eventually the truth comes out. It may take a while, but it's painful. That is a reality of life. The simplest way to live, then, is to always tell the truth, isn't it? The simplest thing to do is to say the truth and you never have to cover your tracks. You never have to make up another statement of truth to cover the truth. What? You don't cover the truth. It's just the truth. And so if you're always honest, you're always truthful, that's the best way to live. Teenagers learn that. Learn that quickly. Children need to learn it in kids' church. The faster you learn that, the better your life is going to be. And the simpler your life is going to be because you always just tell the truth. Now let me make my parallel to this. Here's the parallel. Just as we figured out the truth about lying, 
we need to figure out about busyness and about materialism and about hedonism or sensuality, whatever you want to call it, living for the pleasures of life. All the other traps that the world sets for us, because it's the same thing as lying. Once you start down that path, it's real easy to go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And it grows on you and it becomes part of you and eventually that's who you are. You are a a hedonist. You are a materialist. You are an overly busy person because you bought into the system and gradually it's just sucked you in so it controls your life. And simplicity... And experiencing God is very similar to that wake-up call, that moment when the light bulb goes and said, you know, it would be a lot better if I just told the truth. It would be a lot better if I just make it right with God and I quit living this lie that the world has sold me. And I quit trying to be this materialist. And I quit trying to be this busy person that's doing more than anybody else. And, boy, I feel really good about that. And I'm getting all this stuff amassed now in my collection. And living for your senses and living, uh, you know, in this hedonistic way. Because you know it doesn't work. The best way is to live a simple life and to live for God. And what God is offering us is simplicity is the chance to get back to the life in Christ we should have had in the first place. In one way, following Jesus is the simplest thing we'll ever do. In another way, Following Jesus is the most difficult thing we will ever do. It's simple because either we trust him or we don't. Either we love him or we don't. Either we obey him or we don't. It's really simple. Black and white. Yes or no? The simple life of following Jesus is simple if we have already decided that he is in charge, that he is the boss, that he is the master. But we complicate the matter unnecessarily when we try to split the middle, when we try to straddle the fence, or to put it another way, when we, when we try to play both sides of the net. Who's going to win? I don't know. I'm playing both sides. Well, you're not going to win, even if you're playing both sides, because you can't play both sides. Jesus said you can only have one master. Living for Jesus is easy and simple when we just keep seeking to please Jesus. There it is. It's simple if the whole thrust, the whole desire, the whole purpose of your life is to please Jesus. But we make it hard and complicated when we try to please both him and the world at the same time. The Apostle Paul got this. He said in Colossians chapter 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so, you know, this morning, whether you can do it or not, whether whether your preacher has enough faith for you to do it or not, you could make a dramatic change in your life by a decision right now. And we could all get something straight for the first time, perhaps. Once for all. And it just takes us back to that moment when we first gave our hearts and our our lives to Jesus. Here's what we need to get straight. When we became a Christian, we said, I now belong to God. 
I'm no longer my own. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus Christ because we have made him our Savior and our Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul asked the followers of Christ, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so as Christians, we no longer own even our own bodies. This is not mine. That's not yours. Talk about all your other possessions that you think you possess. They're not yours either. You don't even own your own body. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus. Walter Lewis Wilson was an American doctor born towards the end of the 19th century. He was a faithful Christian who often hosted visiting missionaries when they came to his church to speak. One visitor from France got to know him a little bit better. And one night as they're visiting in Walter's home, this French friend didn't mince any words. He asked him, Who is the Holy Spirit to you? And Wilson's answer was doctrinally correct. He said, The Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the, of the Trinity, of the Godhead. He is our, our teacher, our guide. But it was an empty and, and rehearsed response. And his friend pushed him harder, challenging him. You haven't answered my question. Who is the Holy Spirit to you? And Wilson finally leveled with him. The Holy Spirit is nothing to me. I have no contact with him. I could get along fine without him. There's the truth, isn't it? Is that where you're living today? Let me continue Walter's story. Following year, Wilson listened to a sermon at a church from Romans 12 on the challenge to offer his body as a living sacrifice. You got that challenge. I got that challenge last week. The preacher called out from the pulpit, Have you noticed that this verse tell, doesn't tell us to whom we should give our bodies? It's not the Lord Jesus. He has his own body. It's not the Father. He remains on his throne. Another, however, has come to earth without a body, and God gives you an indescribable honor of presenting your bodies to the Holy Spirit to be his dwelling place on earth. And hearing this, Wilson was struck to the core and rushed home to seek the Lord. He fell on his face and pleaded with the Lord, My Lord, I have treated you like a servant. When I wanted you, I called for you. And now I give this body from my head to my feet. I give you my hands, my limbs, my eyes, my lips, my brain. You may send this body to Africa or lay it on a bed with cancer. It's your body from this moment on. That was his prayer. The next morning, Wilson was working in his office when two women arrived trying to sell him advertising, and he led the two women to faith in Christ. The previous night's surrender had enabled him to access new power from on high, and from that day onwards, his life entered a new dimension of evangelistic outreach and evangelistic fruitfulness. He went on to pioneer a new church, and then a new mission organization, and then a Bible college, as well as becoming a best-selling author. And I want you to know this morning that God can do something just as dramatic with your life or mine if we surrender to him simply and completely. Amen? Seeking God every day is what simplicity is all about. That's all you have to know. 
Am I seeking God? Am I seeking whatever God wants? In Jeremiah 29, 13, God told the Israelites something He wants all of us to hear. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We truly want to follow Jesus and most of our daily decisions are simple. Either we are loving Him, following Him, obeying Him, or we're not. Black and white. Simple. And if we're not, then it's time that we start doing that. In our desire to experience God, are we seeking Him every day? Do the people around us know that it, that is our heart's desire? Can they see by the way we live? Can they see even by our possessions and how we conduct our lives and use our bodies that Jesus is in charge? Let's pray. Father, I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to uh, fully, fully embrace Christ myself and experience God by seeking Him every moment of every day. I don't know how to convey that to others. But I ask, Lord, like the psalmist said in Psalm 51, give me a willing spirit to sustain me. Even when I don't have that willingness, Lord, even when my brothers and sisters don't have all of the willingness we need to make Jesus first, give us that willing spirit to sustain us. As the man said, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. We come before you broken and empty and hurting and tired. And we know that the system that we live in is a failing system. It doesn't work. But only life in Christ will. Help us to step into the truth. Help us to live in the truth of that commitment we made to Jesus some time ago to make Him Lord and Savior of our lives and to give Him the ownership of our very selves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to surrender your life to Christ today, and you've never done that, but you'd like to put your faith in Christ, we're going to invite you to come while we're singing. Just make your way up here to the front. You can just be seated here. We'll talk with you at the end of the service very simple song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And all the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light and glory of his grace. If you have a desire to follow Christ, to put your faith in Christ, to make him the Lord and the forgiver of your life, just come down here while we're singing today. But let's all just stand and let's use this song as a prayer as we look to the Lord together.
decision about your relationship with the Lord and you just need to talk, uh, see me afterwards and we'll definitely get together or I'll get you with someone uh, that could help you with that. Uh, we have a uh, time of offering that we're going to share together now and then we'll be going into our dinner in just a few minutes.